glad you're here. My name is Crispina French, and I'm your host of the Rags to Riches podcast. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business, and here I am to show you that you can do that too. Together, we'll navigate hurdles, challenges, and accomplishments while crafting your profitable textile upcycling business to serve you and the planet. My guests and I will cover topics including material sourcing, business savvy, product development, sales and marketing, and self-care. Overcoming struggles, celebrating wins, and reaping rewards of running your very own textile upcycling business is what we are all about. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. This episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by The Unruffled. The Unruffled is a vibrant and feminine collection of slow-made garments and accessories handmade with love by Sandra Primo. Sandra is based in Austin, Texas, and every item she makes is thoughtfully constructed from finely sourced, reused textiles, favoring silks and lace and crochet. Bespoke, one of one, encouraging an infinite circle of recovery. Step into the world of The Unruffled at www.theunruffled.com. And visit the show notes page for this episode at Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com for links and more information. Hey, listeners out there in the wild podcast world and the wild blue yonder, I am so excited to introduce you to a new person in my life. Her name is Marcy Leibowitz, and she has a business called The Shooting Star Boutique. And you can find her at theshootingstarboutique.com. So Marcy and I met actually in Stitcherhood, which that's a whole nother story. If you're, if you are a textile upcycler, you really need to listen to the episode from this, uh, the one previous to this, I think it's episode 39 that talks all about Stitcherhood, but Marcy is someone who upcycles incredibly rich and regal textiles that she has kind of discovered on her journey through life. And today we're going to kind of dig into how, Marcy, how did you get here from there? Like, give me a little backstory. Like, how, what prompted your interest in creating with these beautiful uh historical and I'm thinking sometimes indigenous textiles. Is that accurate? Totally indigenous. Almost all okay, of them cool. are. Yep. You got it. Yeah. Okay, great. So yeah, give us, give us what you got, girl. Tell me all about it. Okay. So I'm going to backtrack about six years. I was an autism specialist and a caregiver. I had no idea that I was a fashion designer or any of this. And but I'm incredibly intuitive. And I just wanted to be an artist since I was a little girl. But I just didn't know what my medium was. But I was just fascinated with beauty, always. So anyways, lots of circumstances happened to me in January 2018, where my mother, my stepbrother, and a best friend from childhood died in five days. Oh, so I, my, wait, wait. Oh, let me just process that for a moment. Yeah. Your mother your stepbrother mm -hmm. and your really dear friend. Yes. 
And were these people, people who had been ailing for a period of time? Was it um, expected, if you will, or? So my mom was diagnosed in November with a brain tumor and then passed in January. So it was two months. Could you grab? Yeah. Yeah. My brother and friend, we didn't have any idea this was going to happen. So oh, wow. Was, Let me just start by just oof, grief. I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. Thank you. But you know what's really crazy about this? And I love the word crazy. I think it's very positive. So if you hear me use it in this, don't take it negatively. Was it got me, those deaths got me on track uh-huh. in, a, in a really unusual kind of way. Like I just kept letting myself get deterred by taking care of people or doing things that were expected of me and trying to fit in. I mean, you know, and I I just really run on my own rhythm, right? So I wake up after all of the funerals and I'm sitting there and I'm going, just this question started rising up in me, Crispina, and it was like, what do I want? What do I want? Not what do I want to do for other people, you know? And, And so the whole question flipped my reality. Right. And I think for me, because of the level of grief, it, it just started to drive my focus onto myself. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Okay. I totally get that. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm a Scorpio, right? I have a lot of Scorpio in my chart, so I'm really intense and fierce, like fiercely focused when I get the focus. You know, right. it just right. took me a long time to figure it out. So I wake up after all the funerals. And I'm like, what do I want? I'm like, well, I wanted to go to Taos, New Mexico, you know, for 12 years. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pack everything in storage and go across country. And Wait, where were you living when this all happened? In the D.C. area. Because okay. I was caring for my mom there. Okay. So okay. what was interesting was I couldn't design anything, any clothing or anything until my mom was diagnosed. <laughs> this is how important her passing was to me. The first outfit I ever designed, Emma Draper, was for her memorial service. Oh, wow. So this whole process and legacy got created in those couple months, right? And it just accelerated me. And I'm like, okay, I love fashion. I'm I want to do fashion. I want to be a fashion designer. I mean, this is literally how it went because I kept answering that question. What do I want? Right. Yeah. And I, I just want to be around beauty and I want beautiful, you know, places and things. And that's what happened. And I, I took it and I followed it. Most people could not do what I've done the past couple of years because it's been solely by intuition. But I'm one of these kind of people who just lands on her feet. Right. And thank God. But the other thing that was interesting, what we're going to be talking about today, the textiles that I found and the antique textiles, like, Crispin, I had no idea I was looking for them. Yeah. And this is a lot of what I feel like goes on in my life. I'll be looking around. I'm like, that's not it. That's not it. But boy, when I land on it, it's so powerful because it's like I've been looking for something for a long time. Does that make so sense? So it just kind of comes to you and you go, that's it. That's it. Because that's I'm, what I'm looking for. That's, that's, that's really cool. So I want to ask a couple of questions because I feel like there's a lot of, I have, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who have had um, desire 
through their life, you know, oh, I just, you know, they, they got sort of coerced into going on this one track in life where they're the mom and the wife and the, you know, the class parent or the corporate, whatever, whatever. But really what they wanted through their whole life was to just be that creative business person or artist, whatever it is. And I wonder like when that change happened for you, were there people in your life who were like, wait, hold on a second, Marcy. You, where did you go? Like, I want, I want my old Marcy back. There's a lot of people who I've spoken to over the years who have uh, this penchant for my lifestyle. People who have spent their whole lives doing jobs that they don't love or going on some kind of life track that they felt obligated to pursue that being, uh, you know, being a mother or, you know, a corporate, whatever, climbing a ladder in some business that they don't love and, and, support with their heart. And I wonder, I guess my question to you is like, when you made this instrumental change in your life after all this sort of tragedy and loss, were there people in your life who were like holding on to you and like, stop, like, I want, I want my old Marcy back. Was that something that you had to contend with? Okay. This is what was so interesting. The primary person that was doing that was my mom. And when my mom passed, it was the crazy, it was so amazing. Like it just freed me up in a way. And so my dad had passed years ago and people were, would be like, do you feel like an orphan? I'm like, no, I really, I really don't, you know, cause I didn't have my mom calling me or telling me to not be myself. Okay. Right. And I did everything I could for her for like a year and a half before she was diagnosed and then passed. So like I had this kind of sense of completion that I think a lot of people don't get. Yes. Because I followed this path so strongly and then gave myself permission. Like I was in the corporate world. I mean, I was a hospital administrator at one point. I was Christine, I was always in trouble all the time about anything I did, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like when I took this step, it was in my early 50s. So I was really ready. I wasn't 20, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You knew. You were really clear. I was really clear. And, And as you're getting to know me, you know this about me. Like I can take steps that I think because people are like, oh, you're so courageous, but I don't really feel like I'm courageous. I'm just clear. And when yeah. everything is like falls into place, then I'll, I'll make a move. I'm not impulsive. Right. You know, well, you have a goal and you go to it. Right. But I'm very free spirited. That's where it's an unusual combination, right? Like, right. I like right. stability, like in myself, right? Yeah. And to be free spirited and go on adventures. It's an, I know it's an unusual combination. But it's a, it's really cool. So like, okay, so let's revert back to the fabrics and the like the messages that you got that led you to changing where you were living, what you were doing for work, like Okay, your three tight people who you loved passed January 2018, right? Right. Okay, so then what, like the, yeah, what happened? So then I was like, okay, I wanted to go to Taos for 12 years. I'm like, go to Taos. So I drove across country, I went really slowly and I started shopping for materials and seeing people and just being eating good food and being good to myself because that was a lot of grief, right? And I'm now yeah. entirely changing my life and have no idea. So I get to Taos 
And I actually couldn't live there for another year. I couldn't handle the altitude. It's it's dry desert. It was just too much. So I, my story was I went to Sedona. I had friends there, half the altitude. And then I just started designing. I'm like, I would be crying because I had a lot of grief, right? The more I cried, the more I could design. It was amazing, right? See, there's this process, you know? And so end of 2018 comes and I'm guided then to move to Taos. I've been back and forth, acclimating. I moved there. 2019, I opened a shop there in Taos, New Mexico called Follow the Threads. I had no idea what I was doing, right? But I had made a lot of stuff the year before and bought stuff. And I just felt like, you know, I Taos is built on a Native American Pueblo that's over a thousand years old. And so they're living there. Like I'm, I'm a Jewish white girl, like, right. And I've just (laughs) grown in this indigenous culture and I loved it. I just really, it really resonated for me. I'm not, I'm not native American. I don't follow their teachings per se, but I admire that culture so what was it that drew you to that culture? Do you think like, what was it that initially made you want to check that out? Do you, ha- do you know? Um, I love anything that's old and indigenous and respectful and uh-huh. beautiful and has a simplicity to it. So like that native American culture there in Taos, verbal language is not their first language. And so there's a lot of intuition and connection and things that I just naturally embody. I'm I'm just a really old soul. So cultures that have those old indigenous ways, particularly that were built on respect, are very resonant for me. Did you know that before you went out there? Um, It was starting to happen to me, interestingly enough, as my mom was getting sick and dying, right? There are things that happen when you get in those between realms. Yeah. So when I got there, I'm like, oh, that's what I've been looking for, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I would remember, I would go on to the Pueblo, like to go shopping at their farmer's market or something. And it would be funny. I'd like, oh, I feel like such a white girl because I'd have my like fashionable purse or something. And they, yeah. they were always beautiful and super respectful to me. But there's something about being in a culture and on land and on property that's over a thousand years old. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And the, well, and I think in addition to that, it's not simply the age of the place it's the it's the tradition that's carried right like it's it's like the 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 textiles that are made in places tell the story of the place right like totally yeah so very cool yeah i'm living there i'm getting like infiltrated in the best way by all of this and so that changes a person very deeply right you come from city life and being a caregiver to you know, these profound changes. So back to, I open my shop and I'm like, okay, I want some really interesting textiles. I mean, I think that's all I said to myself, right? So you'll learn with me, Christina, when I say something that's kind of innocuous like that, I'm actually on track. 
Okay. So I'm not, you can tell like I'm not in my big thinking head. I'm not analyzing, right? Yeah. So then the, it's like the doors can open. Okay. So I end up at a shop in Taos called Alhambra. It is, it was the most magical place I had ever, 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 ever been in. And I had bought some furniture from them. But this day in particular, I was walking around and I saw this huge cabinet and it was full of textiles. And I'm like, what's in there? And I just started to shiver, right? And that's how I also know I'm on track. So I opened this cabinet and the most exquisite antique textiles were there. And hold on, like it it makes me like catch my breath. It's still so powerful. And it happened to me years ago. And I pulled out this one textile and it just spoke to me. Like I find antiques yeah. for me, because I'm very clear on it. They speak very clearly. And they were like, please take, please buy me, please take me. And then they're like, we'll show you what to do with this. I'm like, great, because I have no earthly idea. And it was a textile from Afghanistan. It was probably about 150, 200 years old. And wow, yeah. beautiful. Oh, yeah. And there's going to be an ebook that I'm going to be sharing with you. And that's the first picture in the ebook. So you'll get to see what I made with this textile. And I just, I just loved this so much because these hand, these textiles were all hand stitched. And what I, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Across the world by yeah. other, a different culture that's been carrying their tradition or trying to. Right. And a yeah. lot of these were not clothing, but they were actually wall hanging. So I'm a big part of my upcycling is taking like wall decor, home decor and yeah. making it into outfits. Cause I think everything needs to go in the body. That's like my thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it has to be beautiful and go on the body. So I started working with this outfit and then I would go back regularly to Alhambra to this cabinet and find more things. And like this stuff I made, how, Hold on. How it communicated to me what it wanted to be yeah. was incredible in a way that modern materials, vintage materials don't do. Yeah. It's yeah. just different, right? Yeah. So I got materials from them from Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, the Ming Dynasty, which is in China. I mean, these are old, old, old stuff, right? And there is also one in the book, it did not come up from Alhambra. But it's a apron that's got kind of, it's hand seed beaded um, that I made. Well, it was a wall hanging into an apron from Germany. So you can see this is like very international, right? Right. right. And right. And you're pulling the beauty, these this historical stuff that's like folded up and in a cabinet that doesn't really have a connection to the people who made it any longer. And you're bringing it out and going like, wait a minute, you guys, you got to check this out. You got to look at this. You got to see this. And and on a body, more it gets to be appreciated more, right? Like, yeah. Totally. And the people who worked at Alhambra, I love them. They used to call it the honorary Marcy Lebowitz cabinet because <laughs> nobody knew what to do with these textiles. So they had been in there for years. And I'm like, oh, I know what to do, right? <laughs> so like I just moved all of this. And the owner of Alhambra would go overseas, right, and buy these 
materials straight from the indigenous people. So he could tell me stories about them. Yeah, that's so cool. Oh, it was so amazing. You know, and here I am, I'm going to go back to this, like a white Jewish girl from Washington, D.C., like immersed in this. And Christina, it was definitely one of those, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been looking for, right? Yeah. And so I just created this collection. It's probably, I probably have about 12 pieces in this collection that are so beautiful. And the interesting thing, you know, like I never had to do any repairs. Moths didn't eat this stuff. You know how with modern materials, we have to repair them a lot? Yeah, 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 yeah. With old stuff, you just, you don't. Yeah. So that's very, very interesting. And like designing these and photographing them, because I do all my own photography, gave me this love of this, materials and appreciation and the indigenous ways because you know like to sit there for a million hours the way they did these years ago and hand sew it yeah yeah you know, yep. and, and we're we're losing this right so yeah i've been able to acquire materials that you know aren't being done anymore oh yeah they're not being done anymore and i think that in addition, there it's it's lost for the most part. I mean, I shouldn't say for the most part, but a lot of the access and the knowledge and even the know-how from those actual cultures is, you know, I shouldn't say lost, but it's certainly dying. And I, I feel like there is a resurgence in some cultures across the world to really honor that heritage and to try to bring it back in ways so that, you know, I know in Ireland, what the, the ancient culture of crafting with, you know, uh, blacksmithing and um, basket making and, you know, the knitting of the sweaters and like all of that stuff is like, it kind of got like, you know, made for export or not made at all. And then over the last, you know, maybe 20 or could be longer, maybe 50 years, there's been a little bit of a turn back to that and honor that and, and have that, you know, have the people who are interested in carrying that heritage forward celebrated. And I sure hope that that happens in other places as well, because I feel like that's, that's the problem with globalization, in my opinion, is like losing that connection to your heritage and culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one of the pieces in this collection that you can see if when you go to my website and get an ebook, there's a piece in there, and I sent you a photo of this, where it's the top, I made the top, it, it was satin blue and all hand sewn in these pinks. And then I'm a spinner, so I spin the fibers that you see that go with these pieces. That was created in the Ming Dynasty, I don't know, long time ago, 150 yeah. plus years. And what I learned about this culture is a lot of the people who would do this fine sewing, I mean, you'll see the embroidery, but they would go blind, like when they were 30 or 35, right? Because the craftsmanship, it was so tiny, right? And, wow. and so that's another reason, like particularly what I learned about in the Ming culture, their work is so beautiful that a lot of the young people don't want to do it because they don't want to go blind. Like, you know, there's functional yeah. reasons too. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Besides the globalization issue, which I completely understand. So that's why I'm like, okay, how can I bring these pieces that were in that magical cabinet, right? 
and that had been acquired by Rob from Alhambra, how can I bring them to the world and display them in a really beautiful way that accents the body, accents the culture, you know, is respectful. But you'll see when you see the pictures of it, I've kind of given this modern spin because I have this really kind of wild, my, my style and my taste are very wild, right? So there's a piece in there you will see where I took a horse head adornment. I didn't even know what a horse head adornment was, right? Made in Afghanistan a couple hundred years ago where they used to put them over the horse's head. Oh, yeah. Adorn them, right? Yeah. Well, this one was made out of cotton, really super good quality, and it had tassels. And at the end of the tassels was horse hair, like real horse hair that lasted, right? Because hair will last. Yeah. So I took that and then I made it in, I, you know, gently cut it up and restyled it. And it's this like super sexy outfit. And I put like a riding crop with it and riding boots and, and all of this to honor the origin. Yeah. To make it accessible for the right person or people, right? Right, right, right. Um, so th That's cool. So that you're telling the story too. That's really cool. And I wonder like when you're, you know, selling your work, does the story of the construction and the 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 collection, the gathering and then the 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 making, does that go with the pieces and how how do you go about doing that? How do you go about sharing that story? Well, you can tell I'm pretty chatty. You know, <laughs> And you can tell I love this, right? So it's yeah, it's very easy for me to talk about this. Yeah, um, I also feel like very clear about my purpose in life, right? And part of my purpose is to bring these textiles, right, this, this beauty, into the world and give it access to people who who wouldn't otherwise see it, right? Right. 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 That's awesome. Hey, you know what? I think we should um, take a quick break and come back and talk about how people can catch up with you and like what you're working on now. And there's a whole bunch of more story that I want to share. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Marcy Leibowitz from the Shooting Star Boutique. Today's episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by Swanson's Fabrics. Are you a textile-centric crafter who loves vintage yardage, unusual fabrics, notions, and sewing tools and tutorials? Maybe you are a sewing teacher in need of cool and inexpensive cloth for students. Whether sewing high-end bespoke couture or experimenting with new textile making processes, SwansonsFabrics.com, located in the heart of Turner's Falls, Massachusetts, has just what you need. You can shop online or at the very well-organized and jam-packed store. Swanson's Fabrics is a thrift shop of fabric, notions, and textile tools. It's a community repurposing the leftover collections of home sewers, addressing the reality that we have enough fabric and craft supplies for generations stored right in our very own attics and closets. Swanson's makes it very easy to pass on an excessive fabric stash and find inspirational treasure for sewing projects. Additionally, Katherine Swanson hosts an online group for entrepreneurs interested in using her business model for fabric thrift stores in their communities. Find Swanson Fabrics at swansonfabrics.com and on TikTok and Instagram. All right. We're back with Marcy. Marcy, 
Remi- remind me, how do, you, how do you pronounce your last name? I feel like I'm not saying it the same way you do. It's Lebowitz. Lebowitz. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Marcy Lebowitz and her st- her online presence is that you can find at the shootingstarboutique.com. And yeah, so, okay. So now you're in Taos and then you, did you move, you moved to Sedona? Is that what I heard? I went from Sedona to Taos. Oh, okay. Okay. So then you're in Taos, Taos and then... Then, then what? Like, how'd you get, I know you're in Miami now. So how did that happen? So I was in Taos for a couple of years and then I was guided to travel. So I went from Taos, home in Taos, and I was in a redwood forest in central California. Okay. I, I'd never even seen a redwood tree, right? I'm an East Coast girl and I lived amongst it for seven months. The canopy of the trees were so high, I I couldn't get Wi-Fi or cell in my cabin, but I just drove half an hour up the road. Like, I'm a really flexible person, so, you know, driving up the road to do business was fine, and that impacted me, again, so deeply, right? Yeah. Went up through Northern California, and then Oregon, and then I went (laughs) back last year to Taos, and was there for a good portion of the year. And this is how I got to Miami. So last year, my best friend kept saying to me, he's like, you need to go to Miami. He's like, the art world's incredible there. I'm like, I'm not going there, right? (laughs) I'm one of these, like, when you see me resist something really strong, guaranteed it will happen. (laughs) I grew up coming here. My grandparents were here. My brother lives here. We lived in Fort Lauderdale. I tried to live here in my early 20s. So a lot of family history, right? And I, okay. and I just didn't like it here. Yeah. And my best friend was like, it's different. The art scene's incredible there. He's like, you should go to Art Basel. I'm like, I'm not going. Now, you know what happened. <laughs> December 2022. So just, you know, last year. I'm like, okay, I need to go to Art Basel. I need to go to Miami. But I had been very remote areas, very rural, very indigenous areas for a couple of years. I got on an airplane. I hadn't been on a plane, right, since before COVID. And I came here and I was like, oh my gosh, it's incredible here. Like I just, like it was so crazy, right? It's very different. And then I was very impacted by it. And I went back to New Mexico and I'm like, okay, I need to move to Miami. Like I knew my time, Crispina, in these very isolated areas was done. I needed that to develop myself and my style and my person but I needed to come here to be exposed. Like the caliber of art here is, yeah. inc- it's just incredible. Yeah. And how much I've grown because of that. But but it's a city, right? So yeah. I, it's almost kind of, I have this love like mm, with Miami because cities are hard for me, right? I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. better in indigenous areas, but I, it has been so important for me to be here. Yeah. How I've grown, the exposure, what I've learned. Um, You know, like one of the things that we talk about in Stitcherhood is, you know, how do we get our work out there, right? Upcycling and stuff. And so, like, what I've discovered here is like this super amazing gallery, right? Who wants to represent my work, this collection we're talking about, you know? And so that's a gallery connection. And I think. A lot of times as upcyclers and stuff, we don't we don't think about that arena, right? And- totally, totally, totally. And actually, yeah, I, this is a really interesting topic for me. So yeah, go on. So it's been so interesting because 
being here in Miami, like I've figured out this whole portfolio and what people need to hear and how I need to present and, you know, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all super important. It's so important. And like we've talked about the Geese Bend quilts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which you and I know we both adore. I mean, here were quilts made out of what is it like more ordinary clothes and household items? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep, yep. I would appear to be, I'm going to, I'm like using air quotes because I want to be respectful, like more ordinary people, but they're mind blowing. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I think, you know, when we talk about how in Stitcherhood, when we're talking about getting work out into the world, one of the things I noticed most commonly, which I don't want to say drives me nuts, but it just makes me, it make it doesn't make me feel sad, but I just know that there's an alternative that might not be considered. I feel like because textile upcyclers are generally pretty thrifty, like you go to the thrift store, you buy your material, oh, this pair of jeans costs $7 or whatever. So they imagine and, uh, believe that they're the work that they make with this thrifted material has little value and doesn't warrant the a price that they need to demand in order to live a life that's nurturing and fulfilling for them. And when I hear you talk about showing your work to a gallery, I feel like it's just, it's a perfect fit. It's the same, like you say, geez bend. I say geez bend. It's a place in Alabama that if any, if anybody listening hasn't seen the quilts that are still to this day made in that part of Alabama, you should definitely check it out. It's spelled G E E S bend um, quilts. If you Google it, you will be, your socks will be blown off (laughs) for sure. Um, and actually, there's a project that um, I'm partnering with some people in G's Bend on that we need to kind of circle back to in the next month or so. But that's a whole nother episode. Um, the thing that they carry, like, okay, so you make these amazing pieces, these ensembles with this amazing history and and uh, tradition built in. So, you know, these pieces are precious and you know that. So they're not, it's not like going to the thrift store and buying a pile of t-shirts. It's like, oh my gosh, this is this incredible, magical piece of history and tradition that I have in my hands. How can I share this with others? So it might be a little easier for you to say, well, these need to be seen in a gallery. And then looking in comparison, not to compare the work, but to compare the the trajectory at the G's Bend quilts that are you know, oftentimes the older quilts were made out of their rags, their clothing that was no longer useful to be worn. Yeah, they're they're represented in over two dozen international museums across the world. And they're totally worthy. I mean, the magic that comes through their hands into that quilt is something that no one can not feel when they see their work. And it's like, Honestly, I feel like that is an example of what we all offer the world in any way that we upcycle a textile. It's like you see something of value that needs to be shared or used or not discarded, not wasted, right? And it's whether it's this beautiful indigenous uh, Afghani textile from 150 years ago or a pile of men's dress shirts that you found at the Salvation Army, if you're able to take that and make it uh, appreciated by others. Honestly, like it sounds crazy and it sounds like woo woo and weird, but it's actually magic. 
Totally. And I just happen to have this one collection with these amazing textiles, but I use like modern materials, right? I use stuff from the 60s and 70s, my vintage because yeah. I love yeah. it. And I've learned to perceive it all as valuable. But I, Christine, I had to train myself to do this. Okay. And if you look at what goes on a great deal in the art world, right, it's like painting and sculpture, but the fine art. And I just, it kept rising in me recently. I'm like, well, why can't my materials be exposed and be in the same grade and do all this as what's going on out there in the world? And I agree with you that it's not how much you paid for something. It's the magic that you do with it, their perspective that you have learning to value it. And and again, it took me quite a while to figure this out. I mean, I didn't yeah. just like wake up one day and get this, you know, but, yeah. but like I work yeah. on my mindset so much because I want to help other upcyclers and textile artists like break out into the art world. Yeah. You know, it's really important to me, you know? Yeah. So cool, Marcy. That is so cool. And I hope that our listeners are just really thinking that through. Like the value of your work is actually priceless because nobody else can do it. Exactly. You know, and if you look at the amount of labor that goes on, and this is what I think this is where my corporate background was very helpful for me because I'm like, okay, I'm shopping for these materials. I'm paying for them. Then am I cleaning them? How am I storing them? And then because so much of my styles are very, very unique, like that's very valuable. No, I haven't seen anybody doing what I'm doing. So that takes and elevates the price point and the value, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so totally. So I totally encourage people like to see like Crispin, help me with a better word, not the value, but like the magic of what you're Yeah, and like the the you know, I, I, I again, like, you know, depending on where you are on the woo-woo scale, I feel like I'm pretty grounded, but I also feel like there is this sensibility and gift that we each come to this planet with and it's our duty to share that gift and it's it's i've heard it referred to as sacred i think that's true i feel like that's you know even like even when i teach a workshop marcy like if you know I'm just thinking like potholder rug workshop, right? Potholder rugs are pretty basic like you just weave a rug on a loom everybody's got the same size loom, people bring materials and every single rug that's made in a workshop with 30 people looks like 30 different people made them. And it's not just the color choices. It's not just, it's the way that they're woven. It's the tension that they use. It's the, and it's, it's, there's just different sensibilities. And so even if, you know, somebody makes the same sort of thing as another person, they just hold a different sensibility, a different level of not level, but just a different integrity. Like it's just, there's something different about how they're constructed. And I think that's like the beauty in humanness, Mm. you know, AI is never going to touch that, Mm. like never. And, um, and I also feel like there's, 
a lot more like when you said that the native people in Taos, their first language is not verbal. It's not, um, I don't think any of our first language is verbal. You know, I think that people have, uh, connection to each other, to place, to making, to process that is nonverbal and not really documented by science. I think it will be at some point, but I feel like there's energy in things that are made with, you know, I remember I have a friend who has a restaurant. Her name is Jess and um, she has a sign out in front of her restaurant that says food made with love. Mm. And when I first saw it, I was like, Jess, that's so flipping weird. Like, you're so weird. Like you put that on the sidewalk and she's like, it's true food made with love is different than food made without love. Right. And she's right. Right. And it's, textiles and outfits that are made with love, the energy is completely different and people feel it and see it and notice it. Right. Like, so I work energetically with everything I do. So I touch everything a lot. My materials, when I spin my yarn, I use the stone age method. So I mean, like, oh, like I like old stuff, right. Yeah. Old, old yeah. Ways for me personally. And, I'm infusing all this energy into everything, right? Yeah. So when people put my stuff on, first they'll look at it and you can see like they stand up straight. I'm like, oh, gotcha. In a good way, right? And then they put it on and they're like, I feel so empowered or I feel like a queen. I'm like, because I just spent 18 hours, you know, putting putting that energy into it. And you can't get that with fast fashion. No. No. Right? No, you actually get the opposite, I feel like. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, putting material on your body that was created by people who are exploited um, is never going to do you any good. It doesn't it's you know, it's not going to make you look better. It's not going to make you feel better. It's not going to help anything <laughs> at all, except for maybe like the bottom line of Walmart or Target or H&M or whatever fast fashion company you're um, you're wearing. So, yeah, I totally believe that. And I think that there's a level of. um connection. And I, you know, when you said that people know it, I don't think it's conscious a lot of the time, right? Like, yes. Um, there's like, uh, you know, and I think that's what Jess was meaning too, with her food. It was like, people don't necessarily know it's made with love, but she, it's healthier. Mm -hmm. It's not like if, you know, if people are angry or like, you know, mistreated, I'm thinking in the garment industry, textile industry, making fabric in a mill that's like a hundred degrees and people are like uncomfortable and not being well supported financially and being taken advantage of and made to feel as though they're disposable. All of that energy is also imbued in what they're making. And, um, I think it's actually really super important for people to realize that. I agree. And like, I don't use the term sustainable. I use the term impact reduction. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to, we're going to get a little technical here. So to have something be sustainable, according to the like legal definition, the first part is the consumer or the customer's relationship to the piece. How do they feel about it? How do they wear it? How does it impact them? The second part is for something to be identified as sustainable, you have to wear it 50 or more times, okay? And then the third part is what everybody talks about, like the carbon footprint. So, like, you you won't hear me use the word sustainable because I don't know how my customer will feel about this, and I don't know if they'll wear it 50 times. I hope they do, right? Um, And so I think it's important for us, too, to be like, really clear about the language we're using 
And, um, and so like when I explain this to people, they, like I watched people just nod their head, you know, because I felt like I kept hearing sustainable for a couple of years and I was like, it, it just, the term didn't work for me until I. Yeah. Same, same, same. It's kind of funny. I think that sustainable is should really be reserved for the like tribes in the Amazon who are untouched by Western civilization who actually are sustainable mm. because in my book, which I wrote myself and it's in my head, um, sustainable means like it, you're leaving no impact, right? Like there's no, there's no uh, detriment. There's no footprint. There's no footprint. Right. So, you know, if you are, um, you know, living sustainably, you're using, you know, you're not taking anything and you're not giving anything. You're like right there in the middle where you're part of like the, the biosphere that, you know, like the moss or the chickadees or whatever, you know, and it's like, there's, there's no business that is actually, um, sustainable that I've come across. So I totally agree with you. I do actually use the word sometimes because I feel like there's this sort of new association. I mean, new, maybe not quite new, but like over the last decade or decade and a half, I feel like people identify things as being sustainable that are thoughtful. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the connection I find. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So you're, you're imbuing lots of your energy. You're putting your work out there. You're looking at galleries. You're, that's so exciting that you have this Miami gallery interested in, in, um, in representing your work. And I know you've, t we've talked a little bit about your plan to open a shop. So what's, how's that coming along? What do you, how, where's that in the process? So when I came to Miami, back in, I came in January, right, for the new year. About March, I kept getting the guidance to be preparing to open a brick and mortar again, which I hadn't done since 2019 in Taos. And I was like, okay, right? Okay. And I was, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I have a storage unit full of everything I need for this shop when it opens. And, you know, like the clarity I started to get with it was very interesting. And I would go all over Miami, but I'm like, I don't feel like it's here because Miami people, how do I say this? They're very busy and they can be edgy, which is not like my vibe, right, to have for a shop. So in May, I was guided to go to Key West with a bad attitude. See, now you got to watch a theme again. I'm like, I don't know why I'm going to Key West and I'm not interested in it. I got there, Christina, in the first hour, I was like, oh my God, this feels like home. It was crazy. And I had been looking for a place to land for many years now, which is- So had you been there before? I hadn't, right? So that's why I didn't know how yeah, amazing yeah. and magical it was. And I was there probably about five days. and But within like the first couple hours I was there, I'm like, oh, I could have a shop here and I could do that. Like I, everything that I was getting guided to do, but I couldn't figure out how to do in Miami just started unfolding in front of my eyes there. I'm like, okay. And the artist community there- like there's a lot of people in our age range, right? Yeah. But yeah. 
change their lives and move there because they want more of a quality of life. There is, it's on island time, right? Which I do really well with. Like, even though I'm very dynamic, I need a lot of quiet. I need a lot of slow. Yeah, I need a lot yeah. of daily conversation with people. And you can get that in Key West, right? And that can, sounds awesome. Yeah, And you can also see the tourist side of it. Like, you know, yeah, but yeah. there's like, it's almost like there's two distinct sides there, which I'm fine yeah. with. So I was guided to come back from that trip in May and my guidance was to deal with a couple things and then start building my inventory for the shop. And so I've just been working for a couple months, right? And I also have a lot of things in towels in my storage unit. So by the time yep. this happens, right, I'll have a fully a full shop. Cool. So, That's awesome. Do you have a spot picked out or anything okay, like that? That's so interesting. I don't. And they're like, my guidance is like, that's going to be the last thing that comes. They want me building all of this. So when it's time for the shop, I'll, I'll just be ready. It won't be like, yeah. you know, chaotic or scattering or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just there two weeks ago to see, I'm like, okay, do I really love this? Could I live there? And I just loved it, you know? Yeah. So I'm going back next week. You know, I keep making these like trips you know, yeah. for, for the next steps. Um, the thing that's really interesting about Key West is people there are a bunch of characters. Like, yep. I love characters. I do very well with characters, being one myself. <laughs> There's a magic there. There's yeah. a level of expression, which I know actually used to be much more before it got commercialized. Like, I've met people yeah. that have lived there for 50 years, right? And they tell these crazy, amazing stories. But, like, it just feels like the right next step. And yep. I'm choosing a brick and mortar because I need to be integrated into a community. I need to be – I live by myself and I work by myself. I am I can be alone, Christina, and it, it was great for a period of time, yeah. but I'm outgrowing it. Right. Yeah. And it's nice to have both, right? You go home and you can be by yourself. And then when you're in your shop, you can be in that environment where you're meeting new people, you're talking about the things that you love, and then you can go home to the quiet. I think that's, I mean, you, we need a balance in our lives, no matter what it is, right? Like Totally. You know, totally. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting. I'll keep you all posted. You know, it, that's so exciting. And congratulations. And I, I just want to really acknowledge how lovely it is to just chat with you and learn about, you know, you don't have like, there's not a, it, it doesn't seem to me and, and you can definitely um, respond with whether if this is making any sense to you, but it seems as though you're just like rolling with the process. Like you're just like, okay, this is what I'm doing now. And like, you know, it's not typical in my experience for people not to have like they feel like they need to have a plan. They feel like they need to like, you know, know what they're doing. And I think like sometimes all of that planning and working and nose to the grindstone kind of push, push, push is not really going to get you where you want to be if you don't want to be doing those things, if you don't want to be in that kind of grind, then you got to stop being in that grind. <laughs> right? Totally. And there, there's some potters in Key West. I love their pottery. It's called Key West Pottery Gallery. And when you look on their website on their about, they talk a lot about why they created this life because they wanted freedom and they, yeah. they clearly defined what that means to them. And they're just like, they're super lovely and warm 
but they're very clear, right? Yeah. And everything that they do, and when you go into their gallery, like it's very relaxed, it's very Key West, it's very relaxed, it's very colorful, inviting, but you can feel the clarity in it. Like the business principles appear sound, their behaviors, you know, appear aligned. And like, but I also think like they created this with a sense of freedom and that's what I'm doing. And so when you do that, it may feel riskier, but it feels a lot better. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think that's exactly it. It's like, it's so interesting because honestly, I mean, we could go on forever and actually we should probably think about doing some follow-up episodes because I think once your stores open, it'd be great to just see like how that happened. Mm. But I do feel like just kind of to wrap up this conversation that, you know, when we first started talking about your transition six years ago, when you had this great loss, and I think part of what you were doing when you were out in the West Coast and in California and the Redwoods and in Taos was processing grief, man, it's big. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, it's not something that just kind of like whatever goes away. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. And you just have to learn how to manage it in a way that really serves you. And you, I mean, I feel like I have been able to do that. I feel like you as well have been able to look at this tragedy as a gift in a way, Mm -hmm. like it provided you this opening. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, as we talk about their, you know, the, the process of, you know, changing your life and doing what you are guided to do and what you love to do is closely related to just that, to being like the, the sense of freedom to, to letting yourself take the risks that are involved in being true to yourself. And I've only ever done that. Like I've never, I've never actually worked for anybody else. And sometimes I don't realize how blessed I am. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, it would just be so much easier just to get a paycheck. And then I'm like, "Mm." but then I couldn't hang out with my daughter when she needs me Mm -hmm. because she's moving out of the house next week. Mm -hmm. Then I couldn't, you know, go to the farm stand at noon when they put out the fresh vegetables or whatever. And it's like Mm -hmm. honoring what really speaks to you will never, ever let you down. Does yeah, that resonate? Total, I totally agree. And like, I'll yeah. say to people, I'm like, I eat when I'm hungry. I sleep when I'm tired or I rest. Yeah. Like, I can just take better care of myself. Because yeah. to me, I mean, not only do I want to feel good for me, but like my relationships are really important. Really yeah. important. All of them in my life, right? No matter the where the level of them. So like, when I'm interacting with somebody, I want to be present. I want to be yeah. authentic. I want to be like, you know, in good shape, right? Right. Which is so rare these days. And like, I think you need to to be able to take care of yourself to do that. But that is very aligned, that principle with like freedom. Yeah. And those potters down in, in uh, Key West, right? Like it's just, it all kind of flows together. And for anybody listening, I just encourage, um, you know, follow your dreams to the place that they take you and, and let, let them guide you in a life that will just be magical. And it's, it's hard to take that first step. And I think that Marcy is a really great example of, of taking something that, um, 
could have been just like a life-changing bad situation and put her into a, it could have been a lifelong depression, Marcy. And you were able to turn that into this uh, really positive next step, next chapter in your life. That's just so beautiful. So I just thank you for sharing that story and being with us today and being really active in our Stitcherhood membership. It's just a lovely interaction. I love Stitcherhood. It's so good for me again, you know, I'm alone so much. So to have this kind of connection, especially, you know, like I have connection with other artists, but upcyclers, text, like that's a very specific kind of mindset. I'm not a painter, yeah. right? I'm not yeah. a ceramicist. So yeah. if you would like to see the collection of these outfits, you can go to my website to get the free ebook. And so here's the link, okay? So you have to put in HTTPS colon backslash backslash the shooting star boutique.com if you don't put in the https you'll get some like random hotel in don't do that don't go to the random hotel (laughs) and if you're driving or sitting on your sewing machine like i often am when i'm uh listening to podcasts all of the links that are mentioned in this episode you can find really easily at rags to riches.eco where there will be a whole show notes page about marcy about the shooting star boutique and she mentioned a couple of other um cool uh businesses and places to check out we'll also link those there so Thank you so much, Marcy. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Hey, so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Thank you for being with me. Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Vandal Hyacinth. If you want to dive in deep, head over to Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com.